Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is the Blizzard Watch podcast. Welcome to it. I'm currently staring at the video feed of a dude with a Kirby symbol for a head. I didn't notice that about the brokers, that they have giant Kirby symbols for a head. I'm Matt. I'm the host. With me this week is my fantastic co-host, Joe Perez. Say hi, Joe. Hello. And uh, those in chat, no, we're not giving out a million dollars because we don't have a million dollars. If we had a million dollars, things would be a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> if I had a million dollars, <laughs> you'd never hear from me. Hmm. Uh, anyway. So uh, it's been a tumultuous. It's been about a week now, right? Like it started last Monday night. I'm pretty sure last Monday to today has been 40 years. Well, yeah, but I mean, in terms of like actual chronological time, it's been like an eight-day period of time. So it has been, yes. Um, Hopefully, y'all have been enjoying Shadowlands. Uh, We're going to talk mostly about that. Uh, We're also going to talk a real thing because we're just going to move right into first up. The WoW Classic thing. WoW Classic is launching Phase 6. It, it opened its Phase 6 today, Patch thir- patch 1.6, mm-hmm. uh, which brings in, amongst other things, it, it will be bringing in the Scourge Invasions and the Nexramus. Both of those will be launching on the 3rd. So as we're recording this two days from now, if you're listening to the live stream two days from now. Uh, the interesting thing is that they decided, when they were putting the Scourge Invasion in, to change it from its original form. And its original form... When as when you had the 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 scourge invasion happening, zones had to be defended. And when fifty zones were defended, well, across Azeroth on a server, then the next phase of the scourge invasion would kick off, and then another fifty zones would be defended, and then the third phase of it. I'm using phase a lot here. Sorry about. That. But the point being is that's how it would advance, and it it would advance for three weeks, hopefully. What ended up happening now with the changes? They they changed this because. Back in the original days of World of Warcraft, back in vanilla when when Nexramas launched, there were not a lot of raid geared people on a specific any given server, even no, the biggest servers. Ra- raiding was hard, like, and not to say that it's any easier now, but it was a different animal. It, it wasn't as accessible as it was now. It's super easy now, and the reason it's super easy now is because we have 16 years of accumulated knowledge. Yeah, that we didn't have. Yeah, because everything was was brand new back then. We talk about that sometimes. There wasn't like video guides and like even like Wow. Thoughtbot was the biggest site for World of Warcraft information, and all Thoughtbot told you was where to go looking for a quest giver, really, or what a piece of gear did, and that was it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alakazam was kind of there, but Alakazam wasn't really all that useful for Wow. So it's just the every every raid that's been launched since Wow Classic came up has gone down like my self-esteem. Uh, it's, it's been, you know, out and, and it's like, okay, it's, you know, this raid's been out for half an hour and, and you know, Nefarian's dead. Someone speed ran him for, it took 20 minutes. Like, that's just the way of it. People know how to do these raids. They're not new raids. So there's lots of information on all the mechanics and how to do them. As a result, WoW Classic going into phase six has a lot more um, AQ 40 slash Blackwing Lair geared raiders on it. Yep. And as a result, they were looking at the, the Scourge Invasion saying this is going to be over in a week. Like, this is just going to get blown up. There's just no way. And so what they've done is they've doubled the amount of, of zones that have to be cleared to move the invasion to its next phase. So instead of 50 zones that have to be defended, it's 100. Instead of, and that's how it goes for each phase. It'd be like 100, 200, 300 that need to be defended to get to phase. Also, they're adding in an extra week for the dungeon bosses there's because there's optional dungeon bosses added in and so forth those they're going to get an extra week so basically the the invasion is going to last from at least december 3rd to december 31st it won't go past the 31st no matter what that will be the end point but you're going to get solid almost four weeks of this and i don't know how joe feels about it and i'll let him speak for himself but i think this is a great idea 
because whilst I've been in the past very much a they can't change anything, they have to, to launch it to do it exactly as it was. The fact is, is that when I was, I remember when the Scourge Invasion happened back in 2006. Mm-hmm. And there were like 20, there were like three or four raid group, raid guilds on my server, which was Asjul Narab at the time, that could even do uh, Nax at all. And of those guilds, only like one of them progressed past the first four bosses. So, yeah, I, I feel like the the amount of heavily geared raiders on classic servers is just it's an order of magnitude higher. Yeah. And that just you just have to accept that and you have to plan for it. And I think doing this gives people a chance to experience the event, whereas otherwise it would already be in phase two the next day. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. What do you think, Joe? I, I honestly I'm in the same boat. So when. While Classic was first introduced, I was very much in the camp of they can't change anything. If they change anything, it's not WoW Classic. To uh, my thoughts on it have kind of evolved. I don't view it as the same game anymore, and it's not its intention. And I've become a lot more okay with the idea of changing things. Uh, I talk about it a lot, like, you know, the idea of you can never go home again. That's what WoW Classic is, because WoW Classic to me, or, or what I call vanilla WoW, was the some of the experiences at the time, which can never be recaptured again because of how far we've come. Uh, like you pointed out, the, the knowledge of the player base is so much more expansive now. The availability of information is so much more easier. I mean, don't forget, things like Blizzard Watch didn't exist back then. Uh, and by the time they did exist, it was, you know not video content we didn't have podcasts we didn't have things that helped explain to players how to do things like we had written guides and even in small blogs uh but even those were you know sometimes spotty at best depending on what the content yeah. was at the time I, I i started working on a wow site in 2007 so just around the time that burning crusade was coming just before it I think. yeah and uh, and i started right I think I, yeah, I started right at the tail end of vanilla myself, but so yeah, there just wasn't a lot of places to go. I, I remember when Wowhead was barely a thing. Let me put it that way. Yep. Uh, Wowhead was a glimmer in the eye of somebody at some point, but I'm fine with this. I'm fine with the changes. I think that pivoting to sort of acknowledge that sort of level of tribal knowledge is what I'll call it. I think it's smart. I think it gives a better event and I think it gives a better player experience for those that do want to go do it. And I think it's far closer to what it could have been or what it, what it's remembered as back during the original time versus now. Uh, Cause like you said, like the, the, these, the number of raid geared people that will just blow through this content is insane at this point, especially when it's so much more efficient and you're right. Cause I remember I was back on, I was in Zul'jin back then. And uh, there was maybe four raiding alliance guilds at the time that were like high up there. It was like Blood Red Moon, Unpossible. Um, I, there, I can't remember the, the the other two big ones, but like that was it. Alliance side, and then Horde side, there was two, and those are the ones that were capable of even stepping into next Ramas. And I can't remember how many of us uh, actually managed to even get very far. I know for a fact at the time, despite my guild being like super Uber Raiders by comparison to the rest of the server, we didn't clear Nax at level. We couldn't, we couldn't get past. I think it was Saffron. Uh, like we could not clear her, like no matter what we did. So now you have players that are clearing all this content so quickly and efficiently because they have the knowledge, because they, you know, have the ability to coordinate a lot better. Because that's the other thing, too. Like, we're talking on Discord right now as we're recording this. Discord wasn't a thing back then. You were lucky if somebody had TeamSpeak. Maybe Ventrilo. Was it? Yeah, Vent was like... I, I remember TeamSpeak being before Vent. I don't know if that's the case for everybody. But I remember TeamSpeak before Vent, and then there was, like, the huge debate, which was better, TeamSpeak or Vent. For and then Mumble came along. Yeah, I remember Mumble. Yeah, that was... Mumble was, like... The vent, the catadays, and it was the vent killer, and all this other stuff. Like, and I remember having to have like different chat programs to talk with different guilds and and different groups. Like, I had to have vent for PvP, and uh, we used Teamspeak for raiding and and stuff like that. So it was it was a wild different time. But now everything is so easy uh, to talk to each other comparatively. Like Discord, you can do it on your phone. Uh, I remember my phone at the time was a. Uh, I think it was a flip phone. It was the Motorola Razor, the, the original Razor. I thought I was fancy. I was not yeah, fancy. That's, that's the thing about a lot of this. It's not 
I've given people the impression in the past that I don't like WoW Classic, and that is not the case. I loved original. So did, I loved yeah. playing. You know, you know that was that was my game. I was that's the game that got me into World of Warcraft. I absolutely loved seeing it back. But I, I've always been of the opinion that people who are telling themselves that this is the, a, a, a faithful recreation are kidding themselves because it's not the game that we can we can't bring back. It's the players. It's the way they play. Yeah. It's the time. It's you. You are not even if you and all of your guildmates from Classic decided to come back and play in, in WoW Classic, you are not going to have the same experience. You're, you're you're all 16 years older. There's just no way around this. You've you've done things. You even if you've played World of Warcraft, you've learned from World of Warcraft. Even if you stopped playing the second Burning Crusade dropped and haven't touched it since, you've still lived the, the past 13 years of your life, and the world did too. And and think and about how many just, think about how many video games, even not WoW, that were influenced by WoW and uh, how it handled things, and how many of those games adopted a lot of those mechanics. So even if you stopped playing WoW and just played other games, you likely have been trained in a lot of the mechanics that you would encountered would have encountered yeah. between then and now. And even if you haven't. Other people did, and they wrote it all down. Or have a video like, up now. Yeah, or have a video up. It's just, it's just, you can't go back. You can't go home again. You just can't. It life changes. Time changes. And that's all I've ever really wanted people to realize that this isn't a faithful recreation because that's not possible. Because you can't actually get in a time machine and go back to 2006. But by doing this, it feel, feels like Blizzard has finally admitted, yeah, this is the best we can do for that. And that's great because now people will get to see it. It's like when they made the changes to Alterac Valley. Mm-hmm. I was opposed to those changes at first, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah. It was because right now call. people people can play Alterac Valley now. It's not just a Zerg fest to the end. And I think um, that's the important thing. Like it's it's becoming a game in its own right. Like and I think that's sort of like the big thing, right? Like it's not just it's not just this product that they originally I felt like almost they were just throwing it up to keep people quiet or but now it feels like no, they're actually starting to treat it like a regular game that they're developing and looking at it from a modern eye and I think it's better for it. I think the players that are out there playing classic, I see you guys. I hope you're having fun with this. I hope that these changes are doing what they are intending to do and giving you positive content, letting you experience some of those pieces of our history with modern eyes. And I'm as long as they keep doing that and as long as players are having fun, I'm happy. That's it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think so. So we'll, we can move on to the next thing, which is just general. Ah, Shadowlands week. Ah, um, <laughs> I heard Joe hit 60 over the weekend. I have not hit 60 yet. I've been like, basically I get a character done with rested and I switch to the next character. I've got all my characters past them all now. Um, so averaging between level 51 and 53, depending on how far I've gotten before I ran it. And I'm cycling now I'm cycling back to the, my highest level character to try and get to 60 this week, which I assume will happen get like level 57 and they haven't been a week or so. Yeah. yeah the rest of the Nolan I'll probably get done before I even get out of, of Ardenweer. But regardless, um, we've both been playing for a while, so I'm going to turn this over to Joe for a second and say, okay, Joe, the, the, best thing you've experienced while playing Shadowlands this week? The best thing I experienced in Shadowlands this week? Uh, well, okay. So years ago, I used to write a column for the site that should no longer be named uh, that was it came from the pug. And some people may remember that, but it used to be one of those things where like before like Raid Finder was a thing, before group like pre-made Group Finder was a thing, I used to fling myself as a healer into random pugs on my server uh, and, you know, do raiding and do things for content that my guild wasn't currently doing. And I would write about the experiences, players that were good, players that were bad, interactions that were interesting, stuff like that. And I remember some of the standout things being like players that were, you know, really, really nice and not necessarily handholdy, but were communicative and, you know, would explain fights and ask people, hey, have you done this before? If not, hey, let's talk about it and know what's coming up. I've seen a lot more of that recently over the last eight days than I think I have in years. 
And I don't know if it's just old timers coming back or if it's people realizing that these dungeons aren't necessarily a joke anymore. Like they used to be like you can't just speed through them and ignore mechanics like there's people that are actually sitting down and like, hey, this is what this boss is going to do. I know it says this in the dungeon journal. Here's a tip that helps you out. Like I've seen a lot more player communication. And right now, that's my favorite thing that's happened so far is just seeing a lot more players just talking about how to get through things or, you know, being helpful to each other versus just an absolutely stiflingly quiet group that just goes and does everything and then disbands immediately after the final boss is dead. It's It's been really refreshing. And I know it's not going to last. I mean, it's, this is sort of the honeymoon period. But I didn't get this in Legion and I didn't get this in Battle for Azeroth at the beginning when I was started doing dungeons and mythics and stuff like that. So... I, I think that's one of the coolest things. What about you? The fact that I haven't had to talk to anybody. <laughs> like, seriously. I haven't had to interact with a single other human being. It's been great. Uh, I, I despise talking to other people. And this is why we balance out, folks. I, I just, I have spent this entire running the different characters. One of the reasons I love running them all over and over again, rather than pushing to level 60, was so I could let people out-level me and they'd all be up there doing that stuff as soon as it came out and I'd be back here totally by myself. Totally and fair. That's been... I, I I was really afraid that Shadowlands would be too group-heavy, that it would be too much, I'd have to do stuff with other... And I've been really pleased that even with stuff like uh, Elites and so forth, I haven't really had to group... Like, there's been some tagging, like, you know, multiple people killing something at once, but I haven't had to actually group up to get things done. I did one dungeon... And it was a love. It was a lovely, completely silent. Nobody communicating. Nobody explaining anything. Uh, just go in and, and kill all of the various bosses. It was great. Didn't have to talk to interact with them because I have massive social anxiety. Fair. Like I don't want to talk to strangers. If I don't know who you are, I don't want to talk to you. It's nothing personal against you. It's just I get nervous. Also, when I tank, and I think Joe can attest to this, I am a perfectionist. Yeah, that that, that might be an understatement. I, I, I want the pulls to go smoothly. I want people to listen and just do what I'm telling them to do so we can get through it as fast as possible. Um, with, but again, play you know done perfectly, like perfect execution. I, I used to joke that, that Matt was like uh, the John Madden of tanking when it came to it because it was develop a plan, execute, and like adhere to the plan and make it as perfect as possible. Not a bad thing. Matt's still one of the best tanks I've ever had the, the joy of healing in my entire life in this game. Yeah, but, but I am, I'm very much that kind of, the thing is, is that like we were talking earlier about WoW, about original WoW and I learned how to tank an original WoW. Yeah. And I learned how to heal yeah. in original WoW. Yeah. Where, where you're like, okay, I got to pull this, but you're going to have to let me pull them around the corner. So I'm going to throw, I'm going to like, you know, shoot with my gun. Then I'm going to step around the corner. So they're all going to come running. And I had to wait uh, for X number of seconds know. so I can get my sunders up yeah. and see, I want you to CC on the pull. So they, they stay back there so that when they get here, I can, use, I can switch stances to thunderclap. And it just, a lot of stuff is simpler now and you don't have to do a lot of this stuff, but I'm, it's, it's ingrained in me. Oh yeah. That I have to do this stuff that I have to, and, <laughs> I'll say this. That's another thing I actually do like about Shadowlands is some of the mechanics are like they require you to plan ahead. Yeah. Like if you are tanking a dungeon or, or healing a dungeon, you you have to like, oh, OK, I'm going to need a cooldown for that. Like I'm just straight up going to need it. I need like shield block for this pull or shield that shield or uh, the healer is going to have to dump something big on me because my health is going to it's just going to happen. Be a lot of them on me, even with CC. Uh, the, I want to say Necrotic Wake. I can't remember the name of the first dungeon. Uh, Necrotic Wake is the first dungeon. Necrotic Wake, when you if you go into it at like level fifty one, completely unprepared, like you don't know what you're doing, it will eat your face. Yeah, that's an under that's an that's accurate. Yeah. So yeah, that that that's been interesting to to actually see groups responding once again to like the old school. This is how this pull is going to go. And, you know, not, not just like, you know, some hunter decides to run ahead of you and pull everything because they can, they're pecking. So that's been interesting. I, I've enjoyed Yeah, honestly, like, this is probably my favorite, my favorite time of any expansion release is the first few weeks while people are, you know, new players are coming back and people are starting to, to figure out how to do things because you don't out-level the content yet. You don't out-gear the content. So you have to do things like that to a certain degree where you have to have CC or you have to understand your, your abilities. Uh, I, I like that feeling because 
again, I'm like you. I learned how to do everything back back in ye olden days, and it's sort of so ingrained into my my play style. Uh, like I joke, I've had the same UI since the end of vanilla. I have changed very little because I rely on muscle memory and habit. <laughs> so yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> but yeah, and so far, I mean, I don't. There's a lot to talk about, and yet not to, not a lot to talk about in terms of Shadowlands. It's basically still the same as you know. It's still new content. I think a lot of people are still experiencing it. Rating is next week. Yeah, uh, next week. Next week, yeah. Tuesday. I don't. I don't. Oh. I'm not like, even thinking about rating. Yeah, and if if you haven't logged into the game yet, and you've been doing a lot of content like I have, um, the new PvP season starts next week as well with the first opening of the raid. Uh, but also, you don't get your vault stuff until that week either. So, like people who are logging in today or haven't logged in yet, uh, or if you're listening to this live and expecting your vault to be there, it's not there till next week. Just a heads That's up. Good to know. All right. Um... Well, we don't have a ton of emails this week because of circumstance of control. Uh, really that, like I said, I've, I've had them. We do have some questions, so we'll go through those. And if if that's not enough, then Joe will start looking at chat to try and fill us up so we have a... That means, chat, you're going to be responsible for helping us out here. Uh, if you have a question for the show for the future, uh, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast at blizzardwatch. Or go ahead and use our Discord, the Patron Q and Podcast Questions channel for our patrons. And we've got the Q Questions channel for our not patrons. We look at all of them for questions. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this week was mostly Discord. Hopefully next week things will be. Uh, Joe, if you don't mind reading. Not at all. Our first question of the day comes from 6K. Question for the anything. Well, we are in anything, so here you go. Top five guesses for souls that could have broken the Arbiter. Honestly... I'm quite, I'm not convinced it was a soul. No. First I, off. I think they tip their hand, actually, as you do Revendreth. Yeah, that's, that certainly seems to be one big possibility. I don't, quite frankly, guys, uh, I, I don't know if you need a spoiler warning from us at this point. Yeah, we're we're going to be talking about spoiler stuff in the emails, Joe. So, yeah, I don't think there's any, I don't think it was a soul in the place. Uh, I think a soul, no matter how wicked, I mean, She's dealt with really horrible souls before. There have been a lot of really awful people who've died. The first Gul'dan died. That didn't seem to bother her too much. Uh, she she apparently processed him just fine. There have been, you know, a lot of Ashara's followers. You know, Xevious died back in Legion. That didn't seem to affect her. Although he's a satyr, so who knows? He went, uh, and he was the Nightmare Lord, so he could have, the old gods could have grabbed him. I don't, Xavius is a fascinating contradiction. Mm-hmm. But, a, you know, a lot of people who have been really, really awful it hasn't really seemed to phase the art. So I don't think it was a soul. I, I think the, the solution is probably most so, likely. Yeah, and, and a lot of people are, are sitting there and they've been talking about like Argus and, and that's been a lot of everybody's go-to. But And if we take what we learn in Revendreth with a grain of salt and look at the video, uh, the, the cinematic that plays, one, we know it's a bolt of red, like super bright red energy, which seems very, very close to all the anima that's flowing through Revendreth. It has that same red and black, like super like illuminated palette type thing going on. Second, we keep hearing about a weapon that Sire Denothrius has in the castle. That's one of the things that they keep talking about in Revendreth. And at first when you're doing it, you assume that, oh, it's the light. You know, he's learning to weaponize the light. It's the light, it's the light, it's the light. But I don't think it's that anymore. I think he legitimately just has, like, a giant mad scientist cannon inside of his castle. Like, I would not be surprised if he goes full vampire Dr. Wily on us and literally turns his castle into, like, a gun. Because it seems like when you look at it from Oribos and you look where everything is positioned in the room of the Arbiter, it looks like it came from roughly the direction of where Revendreth would have been, which is slightly elevated than the others. And it's that same type of energy. And they keep talking about a weapon entirely possible. So if you're, I see Rossi spinning the camera around. Uh, If you go into the Arbiter's room, which I don't know if you can go back there, but when you do the stuff, it looks like Revendreth is above slightly from that room. And that is weird, but Everything in Orbos is weak. But that's my guess. It is possible that there is a giant massive soul that ran through there and and maybe caused some trouble, but I think this was planned from the beginning, especially because they're giving Sire Denothrius the credit for the drought as well. I gotta say, though, up front, um, it, we've been told repeatedly that, our, that Titan souls don't go to the Shadowlands. Yes. So even if Argus, you know, Argus's death doesn't affect the Shadowlands because his soul wouldn't go there in the first place. 
Yeah, and we know that Ar- and like Arthas's example was another soul that people kept throwing up as oh his his souls you know corrupted enough that it could have broken it. He went straight to the mall. He didn't touch the arbiter. So there's that. But I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about, and I think it's going to be a really cool reveal when we get there. But I don't think we're going to get the reveal until we get into the castle and actually like wind our way down to Sire Denethria. Although I do straight up, I, I'm going to say that I straight up think that the fact that there's a weapon in Revendreth doesn't preclude it being weaponized light. True, um, it, because we can we can talk again. Spo- spoilers stuff here, folks. Sorry. There's an actual Naru being held by the. In the same in the Sanguine Depths, being being taken yeah. care of by an Inquisitor, and it's it's there because it and several others came to Revendreth and blew the place up, much like the Void did to Bastion in the past for perverting the light. The light. Showed, yeah, for for their actions against the light, they showed in as a task force and blew stuff up. The problem that the the beings of Revendreth have is that the, the light destroys them. It's like acid; it just it, it eats away at them. So. Yeah, I think that that could be tied into why that, you know, what that thing was. I think that that could definitely be the case, that it's, that the light is involved in some fashion, some way, shape, or form, something involving what they it, were doing with that Naru. And and that fight makes it perfectly clear that they're trying to weaponize the light further, too, because, like, that's one of the things the Inquisitor is doing, is trying to take the light from the Naru and turn it against the players, which is absolutely fascinating as well. And it, it has... It reminds me of what we've seen going all the way back to the Burning Crusade with Muru. Yeah. And then taking taking the light from from Muru and eventually like him becoming a void abomination because of it. The way that the Blood Knights worked, and you'll note the Blood Knights, it's a very similar thing to what we're seeing in Revendor. So yeah, I don't I don't know how this is all gonna work out. I do think it's interesting that Kalthos is involved in everything. Because Kalthos is the guy who originally came up with the concept of perverting the light. Yeah. So I think there's something to that, too, which is why he's there and how he got into the graces of Sire Denothrius, because if he's been looking for a wicked soul that had that particular type of knowledge, that was a gift given directly to him by us, the players, like straight up. We get we we killed, you know, Prince Kalthas sent him there and he got, you know, of course, he's that prideful and he of course he was going to go to Ravendreth. It was a gift, a present. <laughs> Uh, anything yeah, else? I think that, yeah, I think that pretty much answers yeah, that one. No. I think that does. Uh, our next one comes from our good friend Vertigree. Uh, question for either pod or, uh, podcast from Vertigree, the undead mage from Dalaran. So, spoilers for Ouroboros Arrival cinematic. Based on new information, who or what was that red falling thing that hit the Arbiter? I'm assuming it wasn't Argus because he was blue and gold and we saw him. I think Blizzard made it a big red thing for a reason and the color is significant. Perhaps Illidan made a big mistake and actually killed Sargeras. My other ideas for that was uh, it include Kill Jaden, Helia, and one big torpedo made out of all the demon and demon adjacent things that were inside the machine of uh, Antorus. The instant Argus died. What's your take? Well, I think we've pretty much answered that. Yeah, we definitely have. I will point out um, Kill Jaden maybe could go to you know here, although we, I don't think he would because he was partially he's basically a demon at that point. But Sargeras is flat out. He is not going to come to the Shadowlands. Just just like. We already know Argus not going to the Shadowlands when he died because Titans don't come here. The Eternal Ones, who are the the heads of the various uh, factions, realms. The ones who, yeah, yeah, realms, factions, whatever. We're, they seem like alternative version. They're like alternatives to Titans. Yeah, but not Titans. Uh, depending on what we find out about, wow, this is a lot. Um, <laughs> basically, there's some dialogue from from the 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 winter queen when she's dealing with the resurrection of a specific individual that has been like, it's been used for people to argue that she might be talking about a loon and she might be talking about ENR. Yeah. If she's talking about ENR, then the, the eternal ones are essentially like mirror opposites of the things and thus they don't go to each other's realms, which is one possibility. The other possibility is that they are something else entirely. But either way, it does not seem like, based on what we've been told, the Titans don't come here, so it's not a Titan soul or anything like that that hit the Arbiter. Yeah, you what know, it, Go ahead. I was going to say, like, I, I think maybe spending a little time talking about that wouldn't be a terrible thing. We did talk about it on Lore Watch, but I know there's some people that don't listen to Lore Watch, which, you know, why don't you? It's us. You love us, right? Listen to Lore Watch. Uh, the idea that they are akin to Titans is actually pretty interesting because if they are, and especially that, that statement from the winter queen, uh, talking about Sarah being, you know, her sister's pet 
if it is Inar that she's referring to, which I think is more likely than Alun, uh, especially after our conversations uh, a couple days ago, then, and we talked about this, they don't remember themselves basically how they came to, or how they started, like, in their realms. They were just there. It's entirely possible that at the same time the Titans were made, because, again, Amonthul, the first of his kind, who woke up and became basically Daddy Titan, doesn't know how he got there. He just was and what if he was made and crafted and sent there for a specific reason what if there are beings that created the titans and created the eternal ones for specific purposes and then just went off to the next thing almost like uh what was it the eternals from uh marvel similar thing right like they ordered the universe and then kind of disappeared Oh, you're talking about the Celestials. Celestials, thank you. Yeah, sorry. The Celestials didn't really disappear, but they do. They show up from time to time. But yeah, I, I get your basic idea. They, they are cosmic forces that come to a place and experiment, then leave their creation. That's, there's, there's an interesting thing about all this in that Titans themselves are like, they're very similar to the old gods in that they are beings of like pure arcane power that are like thrown into our universe and then they grow planets around themselves to gestate inside. They're like, it's sort of like the universe makes a pearl around the Titan to keep them contained so that they're not just everywhere blowing up all the time. Mm-hmm. And then they grow into that and become like a being. And, and all, you know, as, as you've pointed out, we, we don't, nobody knows, like Amethyl doesn't know of anybody before himself. Like he just came to be. And then he started looking for others like himself and helping them, you know, get actually out of their worlds or, you know, hatch or however you want to look at it. And we don't know, for that matter, we don't know what a Titan's gestation process looks like. Yeah. We don't know if they hatch like from an egg or if the planet becomes their body. Uh, we keep thinking of them as like humanoid beings because we've seen them as humanoid beings. But the fact is they might, in, in his natural form, Amethyl might just be a big globe, like just a world that floats around the cosmos, uh, which is one of the reasons why he couldn't really help against the old gods very much because it would be one planet bumping up into another planet over and over again. Yeah. Uh, everything on both would be getting, ah, oh, God, tidal waves, explosions. Um, <laughs> so there, there's a lot to it. And, and we don't really know. We don't know the origins of the eternal ones either. Um, we know nothing about the first ones other than a few mentions. So there's a lot yet to learn in this expansion. I am, I am deathly curious as to like how anybody even knew that whatever they did would work. Yeah. You know, that's the, was it a hail Mary? Did they just like, Oh, we got this thing. We might as well throw you like somebody knew that this would do something or they wouldn't have done it. So that right there, that's, that's an interesting thing for the, I'd love to hear more about what. Yeah. And I'd love to, this is one of the things that I I like about uh, BlizzCon's, in general is the the story panels and the uh, panels whenever they, they actually sit down and talk about the crafting of the story. And I would love to, to sit down and, and talk with the story team personally uh, on, you know, one of our podcasts perhaps, or maybe over drinks, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm flexible on that, but I'd love to, to hear how the story has changed and pivoted because it has, and we know it has, and we've talked about it a lot, especially on Lorewatch, where, like, the original story of the Warcraft universe was very black and white, very, you know, light versus dark, and very based off of, like, standard, like, I hate to say Christianity, but, like, it really was, and a lot of, like, instead of the light, they, paladins and priests were of, like, a god, and that's what they they worshipped, um, and it's changed over the years, and I think it's gotten better from those those ideas, I think they've grown, and it's become much more involved, I'd love to hear the thought process, especially crafting a story now, uh, because you think about it in terms of just technology and, and everything else, like, the tools that are available to them now versus what was back then, because, like, there wasn't a whole lot of voice acting back then in original WoW. If you go back, like there were some cutscenes here and there, but when it first released, it wasn't really a thing in MMOs. EverQuest didn't have a whole lot of that. It maybe have some lines from some NPCs here and there, but how cinematics grew and now the tools that they have available for that, how the game engine has changed and how they present the story there because those capabilities open up 
more complex stories that they can tell, they can make things different and more robust. And I'd love to hear the process of, you know, using those tools, using the current technology, uh, how they develop stories, bearing in mind, like how we react to it on like social media and different media outlets, because that has to have some bearing on it, at least in some capacity. I would absolutely adore to get a breakdown of, of how that's shifted over the times, especially the concept of the Titans in general, too. Like, that's evolved so much since the early, early days. I'd love to hear the thought process behind it of how they got from where they they started, which were basically like a pantheon of D&D-style gods, because that's what they were, to where they are now, which is like semi-limitless cosmic-powered entities. But like, yeah, it's it's one of those things I'd love. All right. <laughs> Anything else to add to that one? week uh there's not any more to the question is there i, I can't remember so no that's questions are very long that's it the next one's a very long one so we can get into that one all right yeah let's go for that all right uh break it up if it's too long i will to try uh actually there's two more here so this one's from doc who's a blood elf hunter uh question for the podcast oh watchers of icy tidings i was having a discussion with a friend of mine and we aren't exactly sure which of the races within each of the shadowlands five current realms are native which are transformed into that race by their passage into the shadowlands etc for example the fawn and centaur in ardenweld are they native or are they dead souls of other races who became one of those species like how if you go to bastion you eventually become a tall blue blue greek adonis uh, were the fawn and centaur in life on their home planet and just died and came to stay in Ardenwald as they lived? The little goblinoids, and in, in, uh, he says Venthyr, but he means Ravendroth, like Rendell. Uh, are they like the owl buddies of Bastion, soul bros? Uh, or are you, they also souls who were reshaped into little gray gobos? TLDR, how did each of the Shadowlands races come to be? Who was native, who was reformed after they die, and who came and kept their form? Ardenwald we don't of, know the answer to these questions. Well, it depends. If you believe Ardenweld, you learn, if you pick it as your covenant, they do kind of tell you something about that, actually. <laughs> so, again, mild spoilers, but in Ardenweld, one of the first things you do when you go to meet the queen, because you go to meet the queen to swear your fealty and all that stuff, is you get to hear the story of how Ardenweld came to be. And the first thing they say is that the queen was here alone for an undetermined amount of time before the first mortal soul appeared. And then over time, those souls basically became the fairies and the spriggans and the, uh, basically the devoted, the, the people that are reborn into the realm to serve, uh, the realm of Ardenwell. So it makes it sound like if that's to be believed, like the eternal ones were basically placed inside of these realms before anything else started funneling in. And then, souls just started showing up and that's what started making the races become things. Oh, I will say this. We know that that's what happens in Revendor. Yeah. Cause the Venthyr made through Cyrus and Athria. Cyrus and Athria is the first and he them. He shapes souls that he's considers redeemed the Venthyr. So those, those guys that's if you, if, and pretty much any of them, the big stone gargoyle dudes, the little gobbo dudes, they're all made by Cyrus. I don't think there's been any particular explanation about why that some people in Maldraxxus look more or less the way they did in life, and others are just big monster dudes now. Yeah. Like, there's, no one has bothered to say, well, the Primus turned most of us into big monster dudes, but some of us aren't. But there's, like, I think in Revendreth, you've got, like, the the Venthyr, the Ashgul, and the Stoneborn. Uh, and yes. And, like, the Dredgers and so forth. And they're all basically created by Denathrius. Yeah, and, and I think there's some sort of... Um... I don't want to say like replication effect, but like a ripple effect. So like with Revendreth is a great example, because when we see somebody being raised as a Venthyr, because that's one of the things, if you choose the Venthyr as your covenant, you get to see, uh, that's part of the questing there, somebody become a Venthyr. And it's done not through Denathrius. It's done through somebody else uh, acting with the power of Denathrius using one of the medallions that Denathrius empowered to go do it. So there's sort of like this recursive, I let other people go do this. And in Ardenweld even, there's a certain amount of that, maybe, because we don't know, because we've only seen one seed get reborn. But there's an entire grove of rebirth, and it's unsure whether the queen's the only one that rebirths souls, or if it was something that was done, you know, just in that area. 
And again, Bastion is another thing too. So, and I think over as the populations grew, they needed other things to fill in, uh, like the little owl p- people that everybody loves, the the stewards. Like they needed people to help with cooking and cleaning and doing the other things while you know the aspirants trained. So they created servants. Uh, it's the same thing with the dredgers. The Venthyr want to be served because they're you know stereotypical aristocratic vampires. They created servants. So. The thing that I'd like to know is the wildlife of these zones and how those came to more than I guess the They basically are just walking bags of anima. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because like, is it is it a, an attempt to create an ecosystem? Uh, are they just there for whatever reason? Then you have these weird rift walking things that show up in Revendreth that love to suck anima. I mean blood. I mean anima. Uh, like, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here that just makes me question why things were set up the way they were, because, again, we know these realms were crafted, at least, or shaped to a certain degree. So, I don't know. I, I think I think the humanoids were created by at least, or at least had a hand in by the Eternals, or the Eternal One. It does also seem to be that, like, at least some of the, in, in some of the cases, the transformation of a steward into, or of any of the things, into something more more permanent to the Shadowlands seems to go hand in hand with the removal of their anima. Yeah, like I mean, it feels like anima is the thing that is attacked comes from our universe, our reality, and into this one. It enters into the Shadowlands from where we're from. They can't get it any other way, for lack of a better word. They don't they don't have a means to produce it. It has to come from from souls entering the Shadowlands. It's when they take the anima out of things. Like, for instance, the Venthyr, that, that you become a Venthyr after the long process of basically having your anima in the form of your sins and your pride and all that stripped from. And it's very fascinating to me that taking things away from people seems to generate anima. Because that what happens in Bastion with the removal of people's memories? Are you harvesting their anima? Is that why they, everybody turns into like a uniform blue, you know, kind of person? Because they've they've had their anima removed from them? That's not something I can say with certainty, but it does seem to be the case, at least in, in we know it's the case in Revendreth, that that's what they are doing. They are harvesting. And as long as those people can keep their connection to the person they were in life, to the way they felt, to the pride and arrogance that they embody, they can keep generating anima. I, I believe they're called old faithfuls. Yep. Old reliables. Old reliables. Old reliables. And that's an interesting thing to think about. And, it's, and it would explain why the, the Kyrian are so devoted to this concept of removing memory because it's part of their anima generating process. If you don't do it, if you don't take something away from them, they don't bond to, to, to the Shadowlands and they can be reborn and go back to their like previous worlds. Uh, and we see that the only one, like the only one that seems to be about doing that is Ardenwick. Yep. Like that's the only one where people they don't really necessarily lose anything, and in many cases they go back because you know it's it's the ones who choose to stay who become the devoted, and the, if if they're changing, then even then they're sacrificing a part of themselves. So yeah, that's that's an interesting thing to think about that I hadn't really considered. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like the Shadowlands is the longer I progress through the story, the creepier it gets as a whole, at least to me. Like, there's a lot of just weird stuff going on as far as, like, how the systems were set up, how people get processed through it, uh, how souls get moved through it. So, And I'm hoping we find out more about that in particular because I'm fascinated with with how or why it was set up to do what it does. Because it's basically this, gi- like, giant recharging station for at least these realms. But why were they even set up in the first place? Because if all they're doing is taking the anima... And, like, I know that there's some things about, like, Anima Regenerates and some of the places, like, you know, Revendreth and things like that. But, like, but why? Why is that there? And that's the part that they haven't answered quite yet. And I don't think we're going to get for a while. But I hope we get an answer for it. Uh, anything else you want to add to that one? No. Uh, luck- luckily, I remember to push the button. Uh, no, I think we're good. <laughs> All right. Our last question from our emails here uh, is from Ayabara, a Blood of Hunter from Rivendare. I hope I got that right. Ayabara. Yep. Uh, P.S. The Brokers. Are they connected to the Ethereals? Did they come from come to the Shadowlands without dying like us? Also, their head flame graphics are awesome. P.P.S. Fix hunter, uh, survival hunters, please. Uh, thanks for all you folks do. I have been watching since the days of the Two-Headed Ogre and beyond and still don't miss an episode. Well, thank you. Um, the Brokers are those guys with the weird Kirby-shaped sigil heads covered in flame. I mean... 
I don't know if they're related to the Ethereals. They don't remind me that much of the Ethereal. No, they don't really. They're a lot um, other than other than they like to sell things to people. Uh, they 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 definitely feel like they're up to something. I have no idea if they're living beings that are somehow invading or if they're native to the Shadowland or what their deal is. I don't know. Yeah. So I I mean, and that's the weird thing. Like I always used to think Ethereals were just like extra creepy. Uh, like, but these the brokers are really weird because it's not just uh, it's not just the buying and selling thing. It's the let's make a deal thing and the casual espionage thing uh, because they're everywhere. And one of the first interactions you have with them is, hi, we're a cartel and we broker information and you want to be in our favor. Go get this information for us. Uh, and like some of the first things you do for them is go get uh, quote unquote, you know, interesting items from these particular people uh, inside of dungeons. But essentially it feels like you're going to the, the last boss of these dungeons and stealing something from them to give back to them. But it's like, Oh, you need, I want this person's flacrity. Uh, here you go. Why do you want that? Oh, don't worry about it. Here's, here's a bunch of anima. Bye. Like it's either yeah, creepy, man. And then like, uh, what's her name? Venari in the maw. Like there, there is going to be some weird, interesting things happening there. That's for dang sure. And, the fact that we fight one in the other side, which that's interesting to begin with because it's basically a pocket dimension within a pocket dimension where one's decided to hold up shop, but it looks a whole lot like Ardenweld where they are. Like their little pocket of reality is essentially like this little outcropping of Ardenweld with a bunch of the, the wildlife from there as well. What deal did they try to make? What were they doing? What information were they trying to gather? Because that's one of the things they yell at you about is, you know, my research isn't done. What research? So I I don't know. Like, it's there's some weird stuff going on with them. <laughs> uh, anything else to add about our, our broker friends there? I just I mean, one of the things I find interesting about them is, I mean, there's that concept. This, this is the problem. I was like, I was like thinking about them looking. I'm looking them over the they're It's not just that they're creepy. It's not just that they're like doing all sorts of weird stuff and not really explaining what they're doing. It's the fact that, you know, we know that they're in cartels, but we have no idea what the cartels are up to. Mm -hmm. Like, um, we know there's a, there's a, there's artificer Zymox in, inside Castle Nathria, who's just, what is he doing? He's like, you know, he's worked with, with Denathrius, but he's not really a part of Denathrius's group. Um, it's just really messed up. Uh, I, I, I have a lot of, of questions about the brokers, and I don't have a ton of answers. I th we know they're supposedly from some unnamed realm of the Shadowland. I looked that up. But we don't... That's that's the thing that gets me. We know there are more realms in the Shadowlands than we've seen. Uh, just the Four Covenants are just a small part of the whole Shadowlands picture. There are plenty of other places where we're not going to them because we don't have the anima to go to them. Like the ones we're going to, you, you you'll note as you go to each realm that the the complaints about oh we don't we're having dwindling anima reserves and you're using it to go to this new place you know we're gonna run out. Oribos is teetering, so that to me, Oribos reminds me a lot of of Babylon Five. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Babylon. And one of the things it's like you're you're it's like the city on the edge of forever. This this way station between Shadowlands at its height clearly. Uh, I think Joe, was, you're the one that mentioned this to me before, but when you go into the the chamber of the Arbiter, there are literally countless doors. Yeah, there's like so many of those things, and now we're barely using four of them. Yeah, and, and that I think to me, like the brokers, the brokers coming somehow, the brokers have a way to Oribos, and they're they have a way to get Anima that's independent of the cycle. Not just Oribos, because they're in all of the zones. Yeah, but particularly the reason I'm bringing up Oribos is because they got to Oribos on their own. It's mentioned by uh, the, the the voice of the Arbiter. It's mentioned that they're they're broken. The brokers are now all over Oribos. They got there on their own, which means they didn't use the the typical system that everybody else has been using to get around the Shadowlands. Mm -hmm. And they're they've got anima to trade. Yeah, they actually have a ton of anima. Where are they getting it? If it's mm -hmm. if everyone's if all the animas the anima drops caused by all the souls going shooting into the maw, but the brokers not only can the brokers get into the maw 
and you know one of them is there. Venari is there right now, and can and move they, around relatively freely down there too. Don't forget. Yeah, there's there's a ton to these guys that has we have not seen or, or heard much about yet. Like what what is Cartel Vey? Because Venari the, the the names of the brokers it starts with like whatever it starts with before the uh, the uh, apostrophe. That's their cartel. So like with uh, Opulence Beher, Beher is of Cartel Bay, uh, you know, and uh, Talan is of Cartel Ta. So anytime you meet one, Venari is from Cartel Ve. That's that's her cartel. You know, so so what what is what are they doing? What's going on? Where are they getting this anima? From? Where do they just have the they, you know, the fact that one's in on the other side makes me wonder if the broken brokers are the ones who know how to steal souls. Even from like the current situation, they can grab them before they go into the maw and, and, and harvest their anima. That's just one possibility. But they definitely have some connection that they're not revealing. Yeah, and and again, like I find it fascinating because like when we go to the the particular zones, they're there already in all of those zones. There's at least one representative of the main trading cartel there because there's a in Battle for Azeroth there was that Murloc trading game that you could play. Uh, in, I think there, I don't know if it was on the Alliance side too, I assume it was, but I don't know if it was also Murloc. Uh, but when you went to, uh, essentially the underwater realm, and why can't I think of its name now? Najatar? Um, but like when you were there, you could do this thing where it's like, oh, give me five shiny rocks for, you know, this piece of weird corn on the cob that it's been discarded and you trade it up and possibly got a mount. You do that again here in you know, Shadowlands, but you have to go to all the zone. Like there's one, you have to go to Revendreth and pick up the sub, something and go to Bastion and, and go on and, and so on and so forth. And they're from a broker in each. And your end reward is like a token that gives you a sign of favor from that cartel. What does that mean? How did they get to those realms beforehand? What were they doing? Cause the doors were shut. They weren't letting anybody, uh, you know, through because they didn't have the anima to open the doors. So Why? Like you're right, there is a lot going on. So I, I mean, you know, there's the broker standing. If you, if you're going around Orbos and you look at where the brokers are standing around, there's almost almost always a portal of some kind of independent make in those rooms. The brokers have their own portals, so they're they're not reliant at all on the system that Orbos uses, and that to me is really fascinating. Yeah, and I'm sure we're going to find out more. I would not be surprised if they take a more prominent role as the expansion rolls on, even if it's just the war between the cartels and what that is, because at several points, and there, there's a point in time where like you come back from the Maw after working with Venari, and I think it's right after your first time in Torghast, uh, I think. I could be wrong. People can keep me honest. But you're immediately beset upon by a broker of an opposite cartel, asking for information and specifically asking about Venari. Uh, and it gives you dialogue options. I don't know what happens depending on what you choose, but like Venari is one of those ones that's, Hey, don't tell anybody about me. If anybody asks, I don't exist. You didn't see me. And then this broker is like, hi, have you had contact with this individual mall Walker person who was clearly able to come into and out of the mall. So yeah, I, I I don't know. There's there's going to be some interesting shenanigans happening in the near future. <laughs> At least I assume so. Uh, let's see here. I think that's it. Unless you have anything else you want to add. Yeah, and I didn't see. I, I apologize if uh, anybody had any questions in chat. I didn't see anything that didn't already get answered. Uh, so I apologize about that. But. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast citing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, or an ads-free site experience. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, again, guys, if you have questions for the show, you can send it to podcast.com. Um, the subject podcast will be watched so we know it's for the show. Or you can hit us up on Discord, Patreon, doing podcast questions channel, which we check. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here and for putting up with the chaos. This has been a really messed up. Apologize to anybody listening to the recording because you have no idea. Pretty show with utter bananas. Uh, thanks again for the tolerance and the, the support. This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast, and we'll be here next week. 